Hello, friends. It's your Chapo for the middle of the week. Uh, we are back, and it's an OG Drive Boys episode. Just me, Matt, and Felix on this one. Haven't done it in a while, but it uh, feels good. How you doing, guys? Pretty good. Happy to be back in the saddle. I mean, look, just going to say it right off the bat. There's a reason that we're all together, just the three of us. Um, for over a year now, we've given you our opinions about the world, about politics, about media, about culture. And the entire time, we thought we were unimpeachably right. But we have come across someone that's changed our perspective. It's very it's true. Say, yeah, Very true. I'd like to start by begin- by introducing a new, a new character to the Chapo canon that, you know, I came across this morning. Well, I've known about him for a while, but he was really distinguishing himself this morning. So I want to talk about him. And then our new character is the Dark Professor. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Toronto-based psychologist Jordan B. Peterson. You might be some, say that someone who is incapable of cruelty is a higher moral being than someone who is capable of cruelty. And I would say, and this follows Jung as well, that that's incorrect. And it's dangerously incorrect because if you are not capable of cruelty, you are absolutely a victim to anyone who is. And so... Part of the reason that people go watch antiheroes and villains is because there's a part of them crying out for the incorporation of the monster within them, which is what gives them strength of character and self-respect, because it's impossible to respect yourself until you grow teeth. Oh, uh, yes, my influences are, uh, well, you know, sorry to uh, overload you <laughs> with my influences, but uh, they include Immanuel Kant, Victor Frankl, Darkwing Duck... <laughs> And Louis Armstrong, <laughs> I think to myself, what a logical world. <laughs> I see ads of hominem <laughs> ad absurdum too. <laughs> Just wow. because someone posts a swastika doesn't mean that they hate Jews. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Making fun uh, yeah. of his uh, Kermit the Frog f- from uh, Ontario Voice. <laughs> Very, very logical. You're definitely responding to his arguments that way. You're not so proving him right at all. People who are mean in the comments are doing you a favor. They're telling you everything about them or nothing about you. <laughs> so, uh, Jordan Peterson, I mean, like, he's a guy who basically, he, he got internet famous and became the, the professor of... Uh, the alt-right and like logic pedants online because he refused to comply with the University of Toronto's pronoun policy. That, 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 that's basically Yeah, he's it, right? the Rosa Parks of pronouns, basically. Yeah, he, he, he would not refer to people by their preferred pronouns uh, only by the gender they were born or something like that. And, and then he, he gave a series of... Le- I don't know. He's like sort of he's like one of these like uh sort of like philosophy logic nerds that have now found an audience with uh sort of incel shut in pepe yeah. guys i think peterson is sort of an interesting character i think he's funny because he is so intensely self-serious and i tr- i was like i tried to watch a video of him being interviewed by dave rubin and obviously and, and, and your browser was like warning iq is too high <laughs> collective iq of this video is too high i tried i tried watching it and then i was like skipping around because it was so fucking boring but like the one segment of it i watched jordan peterson was uh telling dave that uh 
Frozen is not as good a movie as Beauty and the Beast because it has politics, and that nobody will be watching Frozen in 30 years, unlike Beauty and the Beast, which is a timeless classic. (laughs) Today, young men are taught to take all the negative aspects of the beast. They are locked away in their mansion and berated with messages, but they don't have any of the benefits of his life. They don't have a candle that they can sing songs with. (laughs) I, I, I just like... Like I said, he's been sort of a, a character on my radar for a while that seemed like a, he'd be a, a, a ripe for an amusing uh, discussion on the show. But uh, this morning when I woke up, he had really distinguished himself because uh, he's now sort of uh, taking up the cause of James Damore, uh, that, that yeah. fucking freak-faced grotesque. <laughs> that absolute and, dipshit. <laughs> and his, his, his lawsuit against Google for dis- you know discriminating against him for being... A white man and having uh, logical beliefs. Yeah, for, for they, just, they li- yeah, they, he's too, he's Mister Too Damn Logical. If they had to fire him, yeah, they, he is like a he's just a poster boy for the Dunning Kruger effect. This guy, he's amazing. He had a tweet after he got web famous for his his uh, Evo, yeah his Evo Psych Google memo that got him fired, where he says, "Like a bird, a, a country needs two wings." A right and a left wing. If one is too, uh, if one is too powerful, then it becomes unbalanced and it can't fly. Well, that's and like, dude, you know that that is a figure of speech, right? <laughs> like, I mean, that's such a basic logical error that it kind of calls into question his entire claim to being the king of logic. Uh gonna call you on that one. Uh, countries are exactly like birds. Birds are immortal. <laughs> issue their own currency. Uh, represent millions of people. <laughs> And yeah, no, I mean, whenever you start, hey, the word for word thing was society is like a bird. And <laughs> it's You start out that strong. I'm with you. Yeah. So he was uh, going to bat for, for James Damore and uh, the sort of this. He, he, pr- he proposed an experiment for people to do. And I'm just going to read from him right now. Peterson says, Google image search bikini, then do the same mm. with Bing. And then think hard about Google's desire to shape our perceptions themselves in the politically correct manner regarding James Damore and his lawsuit. And it's just like... What? So, so, so like, like, okay, so then people did the search on Google and Bing and basically both returned, as you might expect, images of women in bikinis. And like, from, as best I can tell, if I can intuit sort of trying, what he's trying to say is that the Google results maybe showed women who were of a you know not you know sort of plus size i saw one person do it and the only difference was there were a couple of pictures of ashley graham who is a quote-unquote plus size swimsuit model who has been on the cover of sports illustrated yeah i mean she's hot and you know as as a very forward-thinking man like yeah um Maybe I will fuck a woman without exposed hip bones. <laughs> that's, that's but very, I'm a pro Google oh, SJ. Yeah, but you're or a soy boy though. That's why. I'm, saying, I'm, virtu- I'm virtual. I'm virtue busting. <laughs> or is it like Google was showing more like non-white women or something like that in their that's results? That's not true. I didn't yeah. see that. It, I think it's really just that there are a few shots of Ashley Graham in the Google one. That was the so like, but other than that, the results were pretty it's much just, Yeah, it's women in bikinis. So then people started pointing this out and then like people started replying to the people who were like, I don't get what these two image searches are supposed to prove about how we're being sort of nudged by Google's politically correct algorithm or something. And then like his, the people who were 
I guess fans of Peterson or like defending this position were like, okay, Google uh, European painting and, and then Google and then, or, you know, like, or um, like American inventor and you'll see what we're talking about. And then what happens is, is if you Google those, ter- those specific terms, like if you European painting, you'll see a lot of results of like the same one or two paintings of like a portrait of like a, a, like a Moorish person mm-hmm. or something like that. And then, like American inventor, you'll just see a lot of like black inventors. Aha! Aha! But then, if you actually like click through to like what the why the results are coming up, you'll see that the reason that these are the top results is because like it's all the results specifically of alt right people searching this term and getting angry, and they all link back to their own blogs and fucking (laughs) things about how. European painting is now to means black people or something like that. Wow, not since Benny Johnson. I'll, it's amazing how these people keep getting owned by predictive algorithms that are all tied into their own fucking searching. I want to put a put a little flag in this. Um, Jordan Peterson first came across this because he was Google image searching bikini. Yeah. Like that's how he jacks <laughs> off. Is <laughs> he's like, all right, it's been a long, hard day of logic. Uh, why don't I, uh, you know what, Jordan, you've earned yourself a reward. Uh, how about a woman in her bra? <laughs> oh, oh, I think that, uh, you know what, no, you've deserved bikini. <laughs> like he. He jacks off like me when I was like nine and I couldn't yeah. come yet. And I was just like, oh, how do I see boobs? Oh, wait, sorry. This is it. Uh, Jordan Peterson followed it up and he said, just how exactly is this done? Image search Google. European people art. You know, that well-known phrase that, <laughs> that is used yeah, to describe totally art. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like, and then what, it, then when you get European people art, all you get is a bunch of alt-right memes about <laughs> Donald Trump and black people. Um, and he's like, this is very interesting what's being done to our perception. I don't know. Group. Anybody who says this is the king dick of logic and thinks that a company like Google gives a shit about anything other than making fucking money is just full of absolute baloney my friend. Yeah I love the idea of these soulless androids at Google and the Google playpen mega, mega dome wherever they work like in their, in their personalized ball pits inside their <laughs> cubicles are like alright today we're, gonna, we're going to fool people into jacking off into <laughs> WOC, and we're uh, every time they look for you know that classic term that everyone searches for art by haplogroup. <laughs> we're actually going to show them Hotep art of Jesus being black and say it's from the Renaissance, and then that way, like, what do they accomplish? Yeah, what's the meaning of that? Yeah, these guys who, who go around their offices in like a giant hamster ball with a twelve-hour Soylent suppository. And like twelve every couple hours, they get a teenager's blood infused into their dicks. They they really care about about yeah people jacking off to uh, to a, a plus size model. Well, you know what's interesting about like, this it, is, I just, is just, that like for both types of right wingers, they have to believe that STEM lords are just the most brilliant people alive. And if you're like a Rubio, like a Rubio Republican, or like a, or more libertarian t- twinged, you're like, oh, they're going to save the economy. They're liber- literally going to fix all the problems. They shouldn't be taxed at all. We should give them every every visa program for foreign slave labor to fix everything. This is the most exciting thing. Nothing is overvalued. But if you're like more alt righty, it's like, 
No, yeah, they are amazing, but they're using it to ruin the world by uh, making me jack off to a woman with dreads, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's once again, it's over and over you see the phenomenon of people being alienated rightly from these massively powerful and totally unaccountable corporate entities, but then just losing the thread and then like allowing sort of pre-existing uh the like their own pre-existing resentments to sort of shape their analysis of what's wrong with the company well it's like how birchers were against the vietnam war not because it was a stupid and brutal and thuggish entanglement but because they're like oh no we should just nuke all of east asia that's what i've always thought here's an interesting question though at least as regards like the the james demore lawsuit and you know we all know what we think of him i mean if genius if your face looks like that you shouldn't be, shouldn't have the Google could fire him based on that alone. Yeah, because he should I, be then, camming then, with that bod. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but like, the, okay, so like the obvious hypocrisy here is that like when these logic nerds come face to face with like the you know running into the thresher of like real corporate power, uh, then they all get like up in arms about like oh my freedom of speech, even though that like usually nine times out of ten they're political ideology tends to afford corporations the power yeah their whole premise is that they is a, an owner of a company should have complete control over what happens within it including who's employed and why <laughs> however like you know like the the flip side to that though is us you know cheering google for firing a employee for sharing a yeah. his personal thoughts on a company email or something like that and it's like you know the line here is i don't know i mean it's it's a difficult question to answer because on the one side you can say yeah, like it's of course it's Twitter's right to to ban you know Nazis or people who you know threaten people with death or went on so so on and so forth. And then like when people get banned, the rejoinder is obviously well, ha ha, you signed the terms of service and Twitter's a private company; they can do what you what they want. However, the internet is now such that like three or four corporations basically do control all yeah. speech on the internet. Yeah. And should they be treated like a public good? Should they just be nationalized? Right. And if they are nationalized, then every anything that would happen would be subject to strict. First, Nathan Robinson wrote a piece about this today that I thought was very good. And it's and it is hard to say like where you know where that line should be drawn between public and private because it's let's say if if, if you were effectively banned from Facebook, Google, Twitter. Apple or whatever, you know, like like I said, these three companies, then like, yeah, your speech has been diminished. Yes. And your ability to participate in the public sphere yeah. is being abridged by private companies, right? Yeah. So like, is that a First Amendment issue? It, I, I absolutely think it is. And I think that and I do think it's funny that these 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 guys who who preach social Darwinism and 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 a totally unregulated economy think, yes, but the Internet should be uh, should be a public good because i got banned from fucking twitter because that's how they think they think in these very they think only about how things affect them personally so the only companies that 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 could possibly infringe upon their rights even though they're that's not supposed to happen even though private companies are supposed to be the guarantors of freedom the only way that they can the only ones that are bad for me it's not you know it's only the ones that personally fucked with me it's the only one that made me not be able to post my goiper memes on fucking twitter and it's just it's another example of how like this isn't this is it's it's an easy hypocrisy to point out on either side the people who who laugh at google doing this the people who are outraged and but the way to fucking to resolve that contradiction is yes through taking that logic of nationalizing and 
and extending it outward into all of these companies that have the power to completely fuck people over and are unaccountable and injecting accountability into it through a public uh, a public ownership. By the way, I was uh, if you Google if you Google image search like an actual term like nineteenth century European art or anything specific, like you will of course get the results that you that you know these people would be thinking of. It's just like yeah. If you search the, the if you search the phrases these freaks phrase, use yeah. in their awful yeah. memes and blog posts, yeah, then you will find those results, right? Yeah. And I just I, I love I, I love the thought of Jordan Peterson being like, I was uh, using my computer every time I I searched Kierkegaard because I care about Western civilization and philosophy in my research. The as soon as I type K, the first letter that I'm sent to something called kink.com <laughs> and I just can't stop looking at it. It's, it's just the postmodern degeneracy. There's no bounds. I, was, I don't have time for divine bitches. I'm trying to find out about fear and loathing. You know, uh, you know uh, as I've been writing more, I've been... Uh, you know, looking into the craft of writing because I think that every time, you know, everyone should learn a new thing from time to time. I think the only way we grow is by learning new things. So I was looking up the term pregnant pause. <laughs> but the sort of thing that I was bombarded with in the autocomplete, it said pregnant Naruto. <laughs> First of all, it's impossible for him to get pregnant. <laughs> Second of all, I don't care what pronouns he uses. He's a man. He doesn't have a uterus. Uh, this Third is- of all, Sh- Sasaki wouldn't get him pregnant. <laughs> if Naruto was pregnant and he tried to do the Naruto run where his belly is sort of dragging on the ground because of his pregnancy, well, he would be giving that baby an abortion with the ninja run. But maybe that's what these people want. Do you see how they condition us for this thing? <laughs> so, like I said, I went down a bit of a Jordan Peterson uh I went in Jordan Peterson's hole. Today <laughs> you went in his bee hole. Oh, yeah, yeah uh, in the bee like hole. Like Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, someone pointed out this meeting that not too long ago, I mean, this is of note to our show. I mean, we, we are founders of the Jared Fogel Innocence Project. <laughs> Would it shock you to learn that Jordan B. Peterson is now Sandusky Innocent Curious? Yes. Hell yes. Hell yes. I'm, John Ziegler is like, welcome to the fucking resistance, that's friend. That's the real resistance. Yes. And then, uh, so he, he, he was... Yesterday he was retweeting someone uh, who was like you like if you just like keep opening these quote tweets they get weirder and weirder and it starts with Peterson going God could this be true the repressed recovered mem- memory industry is an ethical morass which is true yeah but that's it, not what convicted Jerry Sandusky exa- yes exactly Jordan Peterson the, the assistant literally- coach literally walked in on yes. him fucking a boy yes uh, uh, he literally thinks that they just grabbed like thirty adults and like. Got Bella Lugosi to dangle a pocket watch in front of them. <laughs> You're remembering what Jerry Sandusky did. And okay, so so Jordan Peterson there is is quote tweeting someone named Diana Davison who says Mark Pendergrass is the journalist really breaking the story on this wrongful conviction of Jerry Sandusky, <laughs> and it links to something called thecrimereport.org. And then she's quoting another person named Doctor Oren Amate who goes, "Holy shite." Although I strongly disagree with some of Cruz's statements, interpretations, and claims, especially regarding the Holocaust, his piece on, <laughs> his piece on, his piece on, on hashtag Jerry Sandusky is a must-read, and it's in Skeptic Magazine. Oh, Can you count to six million accusers of Jerry Sandusky? <laughs> 
Sorry, back to Peterson. I just uh, Matt, uh, as one of the conditions for your losing yes. the uh, losing the poop touching bet, the Roy Moore bet. Uh, you, you know, I said I was going to punish you. You know, physically and mentally. You've done the physical test touching the cat poop. Now I'll put you through the mental test. Yes. And I just want to let put the marker down for all the listeners. I have ordered you a copy of Jordan Peterson's book that is now. It is not out. It is not out yet. It's coming out on the twenty third. But I have pre ordered you a copy, and I feel a little bad for juicing this fucking nitwits uh, book sales. But I think it's in service of a good cause. I, we might find out that he's actually the logic genius that he claims to be. Well, so I've got an open mind. Well, here, well, here's a preview. Uh, Peterson has is sort of he heretofore has been written like very academic books about like you know religion and mythology and things like that. Um, but he's cashing in on his newfound like internet success, being a kind of you know the the, the sort of the dad for the alt right, you yeah. know, for a lot of sad Pepe online guys. And he's got an, his book is called Twelve Rules for Life: An Antidote to Chaos. <laughs> and I just want to read a little bit from the uh, sales copy here. And he says here, um, humorous, surprising, and informative. Dr. Peterson tells us why skateboarding boys and girls must be left alone. What? what terrible fate awaits those who criticize too easily and why you should always pet a cat when you meet one on the street. What? So right off the bat, I got to say, I agree with two out of those three things. Skateboarding boys and girls should be left alone. If I, I, presumably he means by mall security or just, you know, uh, people shaking their fists <laughs> yeah. at them, you know. Uh, terrible f- uh, criticizing people too easily. I mean, that's our bread and butter. I don't like to imagine a terrible fate awaits us. Well, also that's the thing of like, well, what does that mean too easily? I mean, come on. Obviously, that's it's 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 a meaningless phrase because you haven't defined the term. And why you should always pet a cat when you meet one on the street, folks? How about you pick it up and bring it inside your apartment and live with it? That's what I believe in. That's a good recipe I, for I'm feline a, AIDS. I'm a living testament to Jordan Peterson's beliefs. Okay. So it goes on, he says, what does the nervous system of the lowly lobster have to tell us about standing up straight with our shoulders back and about success in life? Why did ancient Egyptians worship the capacity to pay careful attention as the highest of gods? What dreadful paths do people who tread when they become resentful, arrogant, and vengeful? Dr. Peterson journeys broadly, discussing discipline, freedom, adventure, and responsibility, distilling, distilling the world's wisdom into 12 practical and profound <laughs> rules for life. <laughs> 12 rules for life shatters the modern commonplaces of science, faith, and human nature while transforming and ennobling the mind and spirit of its readers. Sh- shattering all of your preconceived notions by telling you to stand up straight. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess that this, this is kind of like an NRX life hacker type yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, yeah. And then like I was... SJW Media will yeah. tell you to walk in the style of the virgin. I'm, Young men are not any more taught that they have to wipe all the feces and crust it out of their asshole. And they walk around all day with doo-doo ass. And it's not just that it's wet when it's dry it itches you get diseases you get a rash and then someone goes up to you and blames you for racism <laughs> i don't want people to have doo-doo ass <laughs> before we move on from uh from pr- the dark professor uh can we just play a clip of him where he's like crying and shit on yeah, stage of course where, where, where he just because we've been doing the, the the voice and i don't think you guys are uh, really getting the full effect it's you're here from the dark the dark the dark night himself you know i'm sorry that we've been talking like this the whole time and you haven't even gotten a chance to hear him and it makes me think of all the people People who will never hear its voice, and it makes me very emotional 
Even real ones cry. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone around and spoken, and a large proportion of my audience has been young men, young, you know, under 30, something like that. And I've spoken to them a lot about responsibility. And what's so odd about, about this is that of all the things that I've spoken about, because I can see the audience and I can feel how the audience is reacting, because I'm always paying attention to all of you it's, it's, insofar as I can manage that. So I, I, I get some sense of how what I'm saying is landing, you know, which you have to do if you're going to speak effectively to people. And what, what happens is if I talk about responsibilities, everyone be, is silent, just like they are now. Silent and, and not moving, right? Focusing, attentive, say... Pick up your responsibility. Pick up the heaviest thing you can and carry it. And the room goes quiet and everybody's eyes open. And I think, that always makes me break up. I was... Thank you, Professor. Thank you for your service. <laughs> By the way, uh, the, 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 the sort of playlist that you two... Another, another algorithm that's, that's nudging us in a, a politically correct direction. When you search uh, Jordan Peterson, I'm just looking... just browsing uh, some of the Jordan Peterson videos on offer. Uh, Jordan Peterson on the meaning of life for men must watch. Jordan Peterson, don't be the nice guy. Jordan Peterson, handling your darkest feelings. <laughs> Jordan Peterson, is life worth the suffering? And finally, Jordan Peterson, advice for hyper-intellectual people. <laughs> Settle down, dorks. <laughs> Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, look, look forward to our coming review of uh, the 12 Rules for Living. We'll let you know what all 12 of them are. Not Cannot just wait. Standing up straight. Uh, by the way, Matt, uh, it is like 500 pages. Oh, so. fuck. <laughs> me. Ah, that's what you Got him. That's what you get for doubting the people of Alabama. <laughs> uh, next up. So, uh, it's award show season. You know, I'm a big movie buff. Yeah, this shade is lit. <laughs> Sorry, I've been doing the normie pill clinical trial, so I can watch <laughs> the award shows. Uh, yeah, so it's an award show. The Golden Globes are this week. Uh, Matt, you watched the Golden Globes. I did. Yeah. I watched I watched them with Virgil. Uh, they were really as as unsufferable as you could imagine. Just a Unsufferable? Parade. Unsufferable, insufferable, all of those things. Just this parade of just deeply self-satisfied Hollywood assholes acting like they were fucking Sojourner Truth. It was pretty brutal. But the news to come out of that night was this big speech given by Oprah Winfrey. Yes. And, of course, everyone is now saying Oprah 2020. Yeah. Oprah for president. She gave a nice speech. She gave a nice speech. People are people are people are really loving it and they're like, you know, it's it's it, it hits all of the kind of like, you know, this is my president, you yes. know, shit like it's, it's it's she's like the anti-Trump. But it's so perfect by the way that they're doing the oh, I live in a pretend world where I have a different president thing at the Golden Gloves, which is sort of like the pretend Oscar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The Hollywood Foreign Press and the Hollywood Foreign President. <laughs> well, they're really just admitting that at this point, all anyone wants, people giving up on the president, giving up on politics, meaning anything, all they want is someone agreeable on television. And Oprah is a lot more agreeable than Trump. Yep. Here's the thing, though. Like, I don't think that, like, I think there's a good chance that Oprah will be our next president. Well, because yeah, yeah. well, like, like, here's the thing, like, if she decided to run, and like, that, that's a big if... I cannot 
conceive of a scenario in which she wouldn't win. I cannot conceive of a scenario in which she wouldn't win the Democratic nomination. And I cannot conceive. I I, I wish I ho- I hope I am wrong, but why not? Right. Well, like it, Donald Trump has proven, if you are already a national brand and have a billion dollars, Oprah's probably richer than Donald Trump. Oh, absolutely, oh, yeah, for sure. Sure. absolutely, many right. times, absolutely, over, right. many times over. It has like and more famous than he was. more famous than he is. I like she would instantly bring together like the Hillary and Obama coalitions that sort of choked out for like Hillary couldn't really get the Obama coalition Oprah would get that and all of like the Hillary people for sure like the Hillary diehards I'm of two minds about this because people pointed out that I said on our post-election show that if if Oprah had won she definitely would have beaten Trump in 2016 Mm -hmm. and I absolutely believe that and but it, it basically comes down to has Trump fatally ruptured America's sort of political landscape or is he an anomaly that we're going to sort of process and move on from? Because the the pattern that we have generally had in America with presidents is, is that we radically overcorrect over whoever we had and get kind of the opposite of who we had. So you had Nixon and then that people reacted to his uh, – his corruption and sort of dark persona with the, the sunny openness of Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter's Boy Scout act wore thin, so he went with uh, fucking Reagan. And then the old bastards Reagan and Bush we replaced with the young, cool saxophone playing Clinton. Then we got the cowboy. And then the opposite of dumbass cowboy Bush was smart, cool Obama. The opposite of fucking smart, cool Obama was bellowing moron Donald Trump, celebrity idiot. If we keep to that, if we're still in the patterns that have sort of been time tested, then that means that she missed her shot. And the next president's going to be a boring, buttoned down, experienced politician. Or I don't, the thing is, I don't know if that's the case. Trump could be such a traumatic uh, uh, eruption in American politics that. All bets are off, and now it is just a contest to see who's the more agreeable, famous person. And it's just going to be Oprah and The Rock for the rest of time. My instinct is the, is the latter, the, the second scenario that you just sketched out there. Uh, however, someone found a uh, an interview clip from like 1999 where Trump was on Larry King talking about like running for president, and Larry King asked him who his ideal running mate would be, and he said Oprah. <laughs> Why didn't he do it? What the fuck? <laughs> um, He's a liar. But like you know, I, I think Oprah checks off a lot of boxes in that like you know she is an instantly recognizable national brand that people mostly feel positive about. Um, of course, you know her politics to the extent that they exist at all, I'm sure are almost totally bad, not as bad as Trump's. But I will say she has been a almost totally malign influence on our culture in terms of like how much she is heavily promoted both. You know, just sort of like self-help hokum, like the secret, but also like outright frauds and criminals, like Doctor. Well, Phil yeah. Well, and she she sells Doctor Oz. Doctor Oz. Yeah. She sells. She's sort of like the people she pushes out are Jordan Peterson for like suburban moms. Yeah. Yes. And if we talked about the last episode, we talked about raw water and all that craps being a way to sort of deal with a, a, a unwillingness to fund basic infrastructure. The person to to like 
make that paradigm would be Oprah. She'd be like, look, look, folks, you, you don't want this stuff out of the tap. You, you want something closer to nature. Why don't you just go lick, you know, lick, lick out of the lick out of the rain puddles? You know, she's the one who would bring in like the holistic replacement for healthcare and infrastructure. Well, the difference between Trump and Oprah as public figures is that Oprah's products aren't as shoddy as Trump's. She doesn't give up on things as easily as Trump. Like her projects speak to her core competencies, like the book club or the magazine or the network. They're all still there. They're all still there because she's a generally more competent and attentive person than Trump. But it's the same sort of thing where it's you just, you put your branding on everything that you personally like and you that's how you affect the world around you, which well, the greatest kind of portends badly for a political figure. Yeah, you know? it's the opposite is it, of politics. Is it O magazine? Like every cover, every cover of O is magazine her. is her. It's been it's, it's been around awesome. for twenty like, years. I would do that, but it's been around for twenty years, and every single issue has had a picture. It's been around for, for twenty picture. years. I don't know, something like that. No, it's, it's got to like be that less long. than that. But it's long as hell. But you know how people say, like, well, correctly so. The problem with Republican politics isn't Trump. Trump is just the manifestation of everything they wanted. Well, culturally, too. Trump is like a shitty huckster who sells you gray meat with his name on it and water <laughs> water that he tells you is better than anyone else's and sticks his stupid name on some shitty glass and steel monstrosities and whatever credit bubble. But, yeah, it's worse than a lot of other people who do the same thing. But... The issue is not that it's shoddy. It's that it's sort of monstrous for one person to control this wealth and production and brand it with themselves. And to that end, Oprah is the same type of symptom, that she is a more competent and generally slightly less malevolent, less hateful, less yeah, malevolent, less hateful, hateful person. Yeah. But there's still like a chintzy, a chintzy narcissism of just being that type of person and it's not just oprah's fault or it's not just trump's fault it's that we have this rotten fucking capitalist culture but i mean really when you come down to it what's the difference between trump university and fucking dr phil yeah or dr oz or the secret or any of this to your point like and you know i'm not i'm not i'm paraphrasing arguments other people critiques other people have made of, of of oprah but like in a way because she is not you know, as malevolent or hateful or poisonous a figure as Trump, it's like it's almost more insidious in a way because, like, all of her the ideology, like, or the sort of self help ideology that she uh, preaches on her show is all about reforming you individually to better fit in with the rotten conditions yes. of the world. Like, yes, exactly. I hate to use exactly. as a sorry, sorry, no opinion. Sorry to use the new N word. It is very neoliberal. <laughs> it is a very neoliberal ideology, even if it is not political as such. Yes. It has a very strong political valence, especially like when, if you consider things like the secret is literally all about the power of positive thinking to li- change the circumstances around you. Yeah. That like you collective are, action has no place. Yeah, exactly. That like you are constantly being acted on by these forces larger than yourself and like it's just all about you know sort of comforting yourself remembering your spirit yeah spirit or like this idea about like living your truth or things like that where everything is just hyper individualized and focused and it's just like like i said it's not as it's not like this like the, the message of trump is just one of pure avarice and 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 uh you know just grotesquerie oprah's message is 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 one of like night it's like nice and it's about making 
yourself and like you know the world better. I'm sure like they, they believe it's a positive effect on the world if they act positively individually. But I gotta say the the sum total of all of this stuff and the medical quackery. Let's not forget yeah. that has been a. I'm sorry, it has had a terrible effect on our culture yeah. overall. It's fu- it's furthered the splintering and the, and the and the and the alienation and the and the destruction of any kind of political horizon and the obliteration of any idea that people can come together and change uh, change the terrain of the world. The Trump presidency is this massive violence onto America's political scene and it's creating these new avenues that of things that could previously never have been considered and some of them are very 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 bad like you know genuine lock like lockstep fascism in the streets or or complete collapse or maybe re-emerging socialism knock on wood but one of the worst ones not one of the better ones is this thing where people just okay my choice is which celebs brand do I prefer? And then we all individually make the choices of which celebrity brand is more amenable to us. And that's the, that's the dark future of, of the Oprah presidency. I mean, I think we should just start running fictional characters for president. Yeah. Again, this is not a, a, this is not an original observation or like, you know, the rock has been, he's, he's you know, not, I don't like, think he's like fucking hint, around hinted at possibly. I think he's serious. about That it. would be a fucking nightmare <laughs> because that's the only way you could actually make like austerity politics popular is through that guy. I don't know. I have a secret harp. I have, I have a weird pathetic thought hope that he's oh. actually a secret radical oh because, God. because they asked him, what would you do if you were president? And you know what he said? Serve the people. For those Which is, who need that explained, yes, that is a, that's an old slogan from Mao. I, I don't, yeah, I, the, I didn't the, need the that pro wrestler with four hundred million dollars. Yeah, no, he's a Maoist. <laughs> okay, we're gonna be we're gonna be making fucking pig iron in our backyard <laughs> furnaces because of <laughs> we're gonna all be body slamming sparrows. It's gonna be great. But if, like like I said. The Rock for president. The Rock is already a fictional character. I mean, yeah. his name is the, the Dwayne The Rock <laughs> <Yes>. Johnson. <laughs> but like, let's have not Vin Diesel for Secretary of Sense. Dom, yeah, Dominic Toretto. <laughs> Dominic yeah. Toretto, and yeah, and then talk for about it, talk about talk about a uh, team of rivals. Yeah, get Doris Kearns Goodwin to write that book, Fast Nine by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Yeah, and that that could be good because then you know he could run on a campaign of America as the ultimate family. Yeah, like we, we're all a family. Those America. Fast and the Furious movies, if you did sort of run a campaign using actors from that movie and going on the same themes, you would absolutely win because one of the most one of the most dedicated constituencies in this country are people who get tattoos of the word family on their chest <laughs> and think it's profound. That is you really want to know what's out there? That's what's out there. Let's get, you know, let's, uh, for a while, conservatives wanted to take Alexander Hamilton off the $10 bill. They can't do that now because of the fucking musical. Yeah. They wanted to put Reagan on the $10 bill or, or, or this year it was, uh, Jackson would be replaced with Harriet Tubman on the 20. Not going to happen. You know, dude, let's get Paul Walker on our money. <laughs> Why not? Let's get, let's Why get a not? Paul Walker dollar coin. People might actually use that one. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Sacagawea. <laughs> no, people actually would never use it because it's like... It's too special. It's defaming it. <laughs> defaming the image of the prophet Paul Walker. <laughs> the SoCal prophet. Yeah. We're pl- Do you know what? Fuck it. Replace the national anthem with that Wiz Khalifa song. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Let's, yeah. Trump would actually know the words to that one. <laughs> oh, that was good. Yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, the first issue of O Magazine was released in 2000, so it is over 17 years old. So Holy I'm close. shit. So Jerry Seinfeld can date it. <laughs> oh, oh, Shout out to our friend having a great Boom. vacation in the West Bank. <laughs> actually, that's a perfect segue into our next topic. Uh, the Netanyahu fail son. Yes. Before we get yeah. there... Jackie okay. Jr. Yeah. Jackie Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get there, uh, we all shared it because this is like Catherine sent it to me and this was like a just an absolute gift to Felix. The photos of the Jerry Seinfeld family vacation to the literally like like a, a, a counterterrorism vacation fun camp Insane. where you take the whole family to and do and do Krav Maga. And uh, like I said, we like we had lots of fun doing like counterterrorism exercises, Krav Maga, and lots of Zionism. It was called Counter Three <laughs> or something like that. I like that they use Zionism as like a joke now in the way that we use racism. Like, oh, we got to add more racism to the show because it's just a funny linguistic thing to take a take a concept and turn it, turn it into like a quantifiable noun. But that's how good Zionism is. It says here, uh, Caliber Three. Caliber awesome. 3 is the Badass. name of the... Uh, so cool. And it says, during their visit to Israel last week, they came to us... Oh, he said, first we were allowed to... Uh, finally, we were allowed to tell you, the legendary Jerry Seinfeld and his family were in Caliber 3. During their visit to Israel last week, they came to us for shooting training with displays of combat, Krav Maga, assault dogs, and lots of Zionism. It was great. Apparently, they do... They do simulated terror attacks that they, mm-hmm. they have you respond to, bombings and stabbings. And it's just hilarious to me that these people keep insisting that they need these balls and they need to keep flattening Gaza because of the existential danger that they're in. And they turn it into a fucking fantasy camp. That's how traumatized they are by Palestinian terrorism. Well, yeah. I mean, we were talking about this before. What's interesting about Israel is that the way, one of the ways it's kind of sold is like, soda stream and israel's huge tech industry and like you know this is the only democracy gal gadot women women rock here well every woman can be gay a rights woman. every woman can be a wonder woman tel aviv, here. tel aviv gay, gay clubs gay friendly yeah. city in the world and then because it's a brutal ethno state everyone there is also kind of sheriff joe <laughs> even even like i would say one of the biggest cultural faces of sort of jewish urbane wit and got like sort of jewish east coast cosmopolitan identity jerry seinfeld yeah. goes there once and he's just he's like every shithead that hangs yeah. out with sheriff joe the motherfucker is is, is is doing sweep and clear uh operations with a fucking m4 while wearing those pleated jeans from seinfeld yeah well that's why that's why jerry seinfeld dated all those 18 year olds is because now the cool thing for like 18 year old NYU, like sort of hipstery chicks to do is to dress like every woman on that show from 1992. <laughs> so worked out pretty good for him. Yeah. So, uh, in further, further news from Israel, this was a, a really funny story that, uh, came out this week. Uh, headline from Haaretz, uh, strip club worker says Netanyahu's son was customer for several years. This is the background is this is like audio has leaked of, this is a recorded conversation between the Netanyahu son and his fucking bro friends outside a strip club where he's Which talking- is where Jackie Jr. and his friends planned right. the card game robbery. You're right. God damn. So basically, uh, it's recorded audio of Netanyahu's absolute fail son bragging about how 
his dad pushed a big natural gas field drilling deal through the Knesset for this other dipshit's dad. So why are you bothering me about a 400 shekels when my dad gave you billions? And, for a prostitute. That's yeah, what the yeah, money for. Yeah, for a prostitute. They're yeah. haggling over a prostitute. Yeah. And uh, just reading here. Uh, one of the other men in attendance, one Adam Friedland. <laughs> said, yeah, like I've lost all my money and ID. I only eat candy bars now. Uh, Tommy Giorgione and Adam Friedland, the other two men there. It says, in the recording of the Young Yet Nahu, during which he is leaving a strip club in August 2015, Yair, that's the Young Netanyahu, Yair Netanyahu, told son of Israeli gas tycoon Kobe Maimon, my dad set up $20 billion for your dad, and you're fighting with me about 400 shekels? Netanyahu later said the 400 shekels was for a prostitute. <laughs> but if you want, I'll fix you up with my girlfriend. When Maimon asked how he could do that, Netanyahu replied, I have to fix her up with everyone. I'm paying off my debts. Woo! This is uh, the Netanyahu fail son bragging to his friends about how he's offering his girlfriend's yeah. sexual uh, favors to oh. clear debts that he incurred buying prostitutes this guy's like he's that's looking a ponzi at, scheme he's doing a sexual <laughs> yeah. ponzi scheme yeah that, that's like he's a, the bernie like madoff said, that's of, the beavis yeah. and butthead where they got candy to sell and they keep yeah. buying the same candy bar yeah, well, that, that one's like it's are you sure you're just not into cuckoldry are you sure you're not just, like your dad is that yahoo and openly corrupt and there are 20 billion dollar natural gas deals and you're like uh i can't pay you back for the thing with the vending machine why don't you just fuck her right in front of me Right in front of me, dude. I don't this care. guy, he he saw Don Jr. and Eric, and he's like, "Just watch, fam. I'm gonna blow <laughs> yeah, you motherfuckers yeah, yeah, yeah. out of the water." Hold Child's play. <laughs> well, well, the funny thing is, though, is that Yair Netanyahu, the Netanyahu fail son, not only looks exactly like Pepe the Frog, <laughs> he is a Pepe, and yes. before the two thousand, before this past election, was tweeting all kinds of Keck alt right memes yep. and shit like. You know, basically tweeting oven memes himself. Yes. So he is exactly as wretched as all of these shitheads, and uh, but also has a cuckold fetish. Interesting. God, uh, and is Jewish. It's like a lot. It's a it's a walking contradiction. Professor Peterson, we're sorry we made fun of you. We need someone who knows psychology. <laughs> There's a lot of psychology going on right now. But in the actual transcript, uh, it's really funny how repellent these shitheads are. He says he also gave you 400 shekels. No, that was for the prostitute. No, he wanted to show Maimon how much he's spending, like he deserves respect. Dudu ran off on us, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, 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 I, he goes, I can't stress enough how the, the, they punctuate every sentence with bro. This is not made up. This is not like a parody yeah. of what awful, rich asshole, like asshole kids who are buying prostitutes for each other sound like. This is all real. He goes... What do you mean she'll come, you dumbass? Bro, she's tripping, but I think she's but he thinks it's real. He's tripping. Then Netanyahu says, I took her phone number, but I don't think it's real. Then the other guy says, Bro, think about it. Do you know how many strippers I have on my phone that I had? Maimon says, Bro, I have a num I have the number of a stripper. <laughs> Uh, yeah, man, I can I can send her an emoji like that. <laughs> he goes, it's, it's, it's about time. Half of my phone numbers are of strippers. And then he's, but I thought, but I bought you the stripper. I paid for her first. No, you jerk. It was my money. Your money, you jerk, bro. <laughs> that Sophie, she was the hottest. Listen, 
I had like two thousand shekels for the dances. I'm not kidding. I had two lap dances. I'm sorry, oh, like pimps, this is not pimps. only are like not only are these two assholes of the alt right, they are now like interacting in a dialogue that is so of the alt right <laughs> that it's just it's it re- again reality is collapsing on itself once yeah. again. Like these are the kids. I'm who grew alt up- right now after reading this <laughs> shit. These are the kids who grew up watching Entourage. And thinking that that was the acme of cool, and they're, now they're living it. But they're also total fail son fucking nerds. So when they go out in the world, they're like, "Bro, do you see that? She, the cashier, said, have a nice day. She's gonna think about fucking me later.' Yeah, but isn't that what Entourage is? None of those people have talent. It's like it's one actual movie star, and then a bunch of just what, idiots who happen what, to know him. What are you talking about, Vinny Chase, movie star, <laughs> Queens e- Boulevard? E- I am Manager, Queens Boulevard. Queens Boulevard. Johnny Drama, Viking Quest, uh, <laughs> Turtle, the, the Tequila Company. All of them are so much better than Netanyahu's kids. They're so <laughs> much more talented. They have so much more love for each other. That show taught me. You know why this works as a group? Because I watched Entourage growing up, okay? <laughs> the lessons that it taught me. About friendship. About dynamics. friendship, about having a business with your friends, about being cool, <laughs> about fucking pussy in the big city. I didn't have Aziz Ansari growing up. I didn't have Aziz Ansari's, you know, three season long TV show called Fucking Pussy in the Big City and Feeling Sad About It. I had Entourage. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just think, like like I said, I, I think of Yair arguing outside a strip club uh, just when everyone talks about how, like, like the sort of weepy like Hasbara people on Twitter, like whenever like 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 a like a teenager or college student is like wears a you know pal- waves a Palestinian flag, they're like, "This is violence. You are attacking the most beautiful special nation on earth. Yeah. We are the most technologically advanced nation on earth. Thank yeah. you very much. We will never be forgiven for how peaceful and good our culture is." Yeah. And then I just think of these fucking shitheads. Yeah. Every time that we have to see Gal Gadot when we're pushed, like sort of subliminally push that sort of zionism out, through google image search yeah through google image search out of uh fcc uh fairness rules you should give equal time to the true face of zionism <laughs> yeah yeah netanyahu yeah. to come to come out there and be like what are what are you talking about okay we can talk about you give my girlfriend give you anal i though we we could have so much more. we are just like the entourage boys <laughs> i am i am vinny vinny chase <laughs> i am uh, the queen's boulevard queen's boulevard is uh, it is in the west bank that is why we must take it <laughs> all right so closing out this week uh, you'll remember on a recent episode, uh, Virgil sort of chastised us for being a little too cavalier about the prospect of uh, nuclear war with uh, North Korea. And I got to say, I'm coming around to his position. Uh, I, maybe we have been too flip. And of course, I started feeling that way after seeing the uh, latest op-ed in Foreign Policy magazine. Of course, they don't call them op-eds. They're called arguments in foreign policy. Because the art of the argument. It is fucking insufferable. Uh, called It's Time to Bomb North Korea by Edward Lutwak. Is that how you, you know how you say Who it? gives a shit? Lutwak. Fuck him. I don't Who know. fucking cares? He looks like a, fu- he looks like Bella, he looks like a fucking vampire. He looks like Bela Lugosi. He's a longtime fucking neocon hawk. And he has a full op-ed out that just says that is like the most strange Lovian nightmare I think I've ever fu- I've seen of recent note. It goes, it's time to bomb North Korea. Destroying Pyongyang's nuclear arsenal is still in America's national interest. 
I, I think it's worth highlighting this article just for like how breathtakingly terrifying it is. Like, I don't even know if this is like a reading series. I mean, he's a horrible person and writer, but like this is maddening, like how blithe this guy yeah. is about just doing, oh, I'll just be like a, we'll just bomb North Korea, no big deal. And like, Okay, so he says here, nothing can be known about this week's talks between North and South Korea other than their likely outcome. As in every previous encounter, South Korea will almost certainly reward North Korea's outrageous misconduct by handing over substantial sums of money, thus negating long overdue sanctions recently imposed by the United Nations Security Council. Meanwhile, the North will continue to make progress toward its goal of its deploying several nuclear-armed mobile intercontinental ballistic missiles. Having already tested nuclear explosive devices in October 2006, blah, blah, blah. So North and South Korea are engaging in talks right now Can't have the that. Olympics right now. No, so now, you. of course, now they're, now they're going to ramp up the tensions even more because we can't be having that. No. The thought of like an actual peace treaty, which is what people on the Korean Peninsula want yeah. overwhelmingly. The Korean War is still ongoing for Korea. Technically, yes. Technically, it hasn't ended. Um, any recognition of North Korea or like anything that would ramp down hostilities or let's say, I don't know, invalidate their obvious need and want of a nuclear weapon. I mean, because like every time like they're like, oh, they're such pariahs in the international community because there are, you know, this rogue nuclear armed state. Any, I mean, yeah, it's scary, but like anytime anyone makes that argument, they can just point to foreign policy magazine, like yeah. one of the most respected journals of thought of the West, just yeah. openly proving that why wouldn't you fucking want a nuke if you were North right. Korea? Or the fact that they didn't get a nuke. I mean, behind all imperialism and colonialism is this type of racism where it's not qu- just quite that you think that you're like better than every group of people in the world. It's that you literally think that they're children. You think they're the childlike races. So with North Korea, the thinking has to be like, oh, the silly Kim family, they got these nukes because they're stupid, petulant, fat children and they want to scare everyone. When really, like, the reason you get a nuke is it's insurance against being invaded. I wonder why they would do that. I wonder, you know, A, what happened in the 2000s, either in a speech by George W. Bush or what happened, you know, to a country that was just invaded for no reason. Or what happened, you know, 50, 60 years ago when there was a war in that part of the world and wiped out a third of their population, which is a fucking genocide. I wonder why they would do that. But it's the same. You see the extension of that type of thinking here, which is not that imperialism doesn't just extend to the DPRK, extends to the South Korea, too. They don't know what's best for them. They think they want to end the war. They think they want to try to cease hostilities and try to, you know, come with some amicable solution for their where they live the korean peninsula but no they don't really know they don't really know what we know that you have to draw a hard line with these people that it's like training a dog well that's why that's why they the 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 thrust of the article is it has that implicit understanding that yes the koreans are children and their deaths might be sad but not that big of a deal because his argument is basically we should do sort of a lightning surgical strike to try to stop to try to uh, yeah. disrupt their nukes, and then the big thing that has stopped us from doing that in the past is because there's enough artillery pointed at Seoul that it could basically level a city of 20 million people in a few 
ours if we were to attack North Korea. And his response to that is, well, yeah, but that's South Korea's fault for not for allowing themselves to be in that position. Here's what he says. Uh, Each test would have been an excellent occasion for the United States to finally decide to do to North Korea what Israel did to Iraq in 1981 and Syria in 2007, namely use well-aimed conventional weapons to deny nuclear weapons to regimes that shouldn't have firearms, let alone weapons of mass destruction. So now they're saying they, they shouldn't even be allowed to have guns. Oh, it's almost like giving a gun to a child. Yeah, why would they want those? Um, And by the way, like, I I should make clear, at least on my part, like, the only, I am 100% opposed to nuclear weapons of any kind in the hands of any human being or government anywhere in the world. Honestly, like, the decommissioning and getting rid of all nuclear weapons on the planet Earth should be the no- basically near the top, if not the number one priority for every living thing on the planet. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I'm, and, I'm, and we, it's, and it's insane. It, it's absolute madness, and the United States has more nuclear weapons than anyone, so obviously we should start there. However, that's not the world we live in, and I'm sorry, there are you know rational reasons for these like scary regimes to want nuclear weapons and like maybe in the long run it wouldn't be i don't know i can see a benefit to them having them to be honest iran a nuke because like like look the the logic of mutually assured destruction is insane and the fact that we haven't managed to make it through the cold war without ending all life on the planet is kind of incredible and maybe down to luck at some point. Oh, or, definitely oh, down to luck. Several yeah. number, number of yeah, times. Just, a complete luck or the judgment of that one Soviet guy who was just like... Did, there are a couple of Soviets. Yeah, a couple of Soviet there's, there's a, During just, the Cuban Missile Crisis, there was a, a, a sub-commander who made very, an executive decision not to fire and stopped maybe the death of everyone on Earth. I mean, it's very, like, very interesting because so much of the logic of the Cold War was based on this idea of game theory. And like 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 the Rand Corporation and guys like John Nash, uh, Adam Curtis made a great documentary about this. This like hyper rational idea that people are always looking like the prisoner's dilemma that you always have to fuck over the other guy first, lest he fuck you over. Yeah, and that was the logic that guarded nuclear deterrence. But in these several examples, it's just like we were only saved by individual human beings completely acting against what was their rational self-interest wow. in, that, in that game theory ideology. Wow, they, they, almost... they, 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 chose, they made the conscious decision to disobey orders and do exactly the opposite of what they're supposed to do out of some innate sense of humanity that is maybe not quantifiable by mathematics. Wow, it's almost like John Nash didn't have a totally clear vision <laughs> on reality or people. <laughs> There's something going on there. But to uh, to Matt's point earlier quite about clearly. what, what uh, Edward Strangelove is talking about here, he <laughs> goes, uh, one mistaken reason to avoid attacking North Korea is the fear of direct retaliation. The U.S. intelligence community has reportedly claimed that North Korea already has ballistic missiles with nuclear warheads that can reach as far as the United States. But this is almost certainly an exaggeration, or rather an anticipation of a future that could still be averted by prompt action. Then he goes on, it's true that North Korea could retaliate for any attack by using its conventional rocket artillery against the South Korean capital of Seoul and its surroundings where almost 20 million inhabitants live within 35 miles of the armistice line. U.S. military officers have cited the fear of a, quote, sea of fire to justify inaction. Eh, But this vulnerability (laughs) should not paralyze U.S. policy for one simple reason. It is very largely self-inflicted. That's not a reason. The people will still be dead. You just get to fucking sleep better at night because you think it's their fault. 
It, well, it is their fault. He says, over these past four decades, South Korean governments have done practically nothing along these lines. Or he says, uh, sorry, beginning again. He, he goes on to say, it is their fault because South Korea was also told to mandate proper shelters where every new building must have its own under bombardment. Uh, but he goes on and says, in, in recent years, moreover, South Korea has had the option of importing, at moderate cost, iron dome batteries, which are produced by both <laughs> Israel and the United States, that would be capable of intercepting 95% of North Korean rockets. First of all, uh, bullshit. No, bullshit. absolutely Marketing, not. Marketing, sales PR, the, garbage. The only thing, none of these missile defense systems work. work. The, the only thing that, uh, that people, the only thing that has been better sold to people the better fraudulent defense industry thing i think the primary one is aerostrikes the efficacy of aerostrikes but second to that very close second missile defense systems Mm -hmm. he goes the three thousand foolish south koreans didn't buy the enchanted beans from from the salesmen they could have saved them three thousand two hundred fifty seven officially listed shelters in the seoul area are nothing more than underground shopping malls subway stations and hotel parking lots without any stocks of food or water medical kits or gas basks as for importing iron dome batteries the south koreans have preferred to spend their money on developing a fighter bomber aimed at japan Again, I don't know why the Korean people would have any sort of <laughs> any sort of lingering uh, fear of Japanese militarism. Yeah. You stupid! But, uh, why are you so nervous all the time? We're just driving eight hundred trillion dollars of boats with nukes on them around around every square inch of your territorial waters. We're just we're just patrolling Japan with an aircraft carrier. Why are all why are any of you why are any of you childlike races nervous right now? Yeah, all we do is we have just cheap loads of drunk GIs driving through your villages and plowing into school children. He goes, uh, even now, casualties could still be drastically reduced by a crash resilience program. <laughs> This should involve this should involve clearing out and hardening with jacks, props, and steel beams the basements of buildings of all sizes, promptly stocking necessities in the official shelters, and signposting them more visibly. So he wants a better signage program to help them from being fucking bombarded with a million rockets in a city of thirty million people. And he goes, "Yeah, I'm raising uh, bomb awareness." And he goes, uh, "And of course, evacuating as many possible beforehand. Most of the twenty million or so at risk would be quite safe even just 20 miles further to the south. The United States, for its part, should consider adding a vigorous counter-battery attacks to any airstrike. Okay, can you imagine what would happen if all of a sudden the entire city of Seoul just started evacuating at once? (laughs) What do you think North Korea would do then? Do you think that might be... I don't know, to use game theory, I think that might be a tell that the person across the table maybe has uh, drawn that flush on the river. No, 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 you don't get it. You don't get it. Um, this man is a genius. He's from the elite imperial race. If you evacuate an entire city, put signs that say, warning, nuke incoming everywhere, <laughs> and buy a shitty missile defense system that you put all over the coastline and border zone, the North Koreans will go, Duh. No, see what you do is is you say publicly that you're going to break the Guinness World Record for the longest collective Gangnam style dance, <laughs> and you just have them all say, "No, we're Gangnam styling out of out of the city to try to to try to get in the Guinness Book." And I was they'll be like, say, "Oh, like, never mind." They they should do it, but only one person at a time. 
Yeah. Like one day one person leaves Seoul and then they just do it very slowly but surely until no one's there. And then we got them. Yeah. So uh, this is really the disgusting. I mean, in, in the case you weren't nauseated already by this fucking ghoul's complete disregard for just millions of deaths. I wouldn't. I'm not saying they wouldn't get their hair must. Yeah. I'm saying 20 million tops. He goes, nonetheless, given South Korea's deliberate inaction over many years, <laughs> any damage done to Seoul cannot be allowed to paralyze the United States in the face of immense danger to its own national interests and those of its al- other allies elsewhere in the world. North Korea is already unique in selling its ballistic missiles to Iran, most notably. It's not difficult to imagine it's selling nuclear weapons, too. Another frequently cited reason for the United States to abstain from an attack that it would be very difficult to pull off is even less convincing. The claim is that destroying North Korean nuclear facilities would require many thousands of bombing sorties, but all North Korean nuclear facilities, the known, the probable, and the possible, almost certainly add up to less than three dozen installations most of them quite small. Under no reasonable military plan would destroying those facilities demand thousands of airstrikes. All, maybe almost all of them. But the whole point is you have to get them all, right? You have to like yeah, get right. every single one. Well, so what? You miss one. That's only one nuke in South Korea. And honestly, you know what? They should be so lucky. It's true. They had it coming. Yeah. You know, if you want something done, if you want something done right, do it yourself. And in this case, it is genocide. Yep. And the South Koreans just couldn't couldn't depend on them sorry guys i mean this we're gonna see more and more of these same reasonings for like when when bangladesh is completely flooded and millions of people drown hey you had plenty of time to build up those dams and uh and levees and and shit and you didn't do it so that guy it's not your fault that we literally put all of the fucking carbon into the atmosphere this reminds me of another article written by another sociopath by daniel sower which is too hard to say. You can just call him Daniel Sewer, uh, who is part. Who he wrote a book called "Waging Peace," which is just fucking incredible. It's like you know what? Give me a bircher over that fucking clown. But his idea of waging peace was the moment it became clear the Iran deal was going to go through. He uh, wrote an article saying now is the time to bomb Beirut <laughs> and hit Hezbollah. <laughs> and, you know, it's the same line of thinking that, like, no, you don't you don't you don't get it. There's still the childlike races, even after you, we make a deal with them or they make a deal with each other or they try to ratchet down tensions between themselves. Because if something happens outside of the established order of the Natsek gospel, well, it's like giving it's like giving a bunch of sugar to kids and letting them run around in your dining room. Felix, I'm going to push back slightly because Edward Lutwak uh, is pushing back against the military foreign policy consensus because he says, unfortunately, this would not be the first time that U.S. military planning proved unreasonable. The United States Air Force habitually rejects one-time strikes, insisting instead on the total suppression of enemy air defenses. This is a peculiar conceit whereby... Give your life. (laughs) Give your life because me and my wife don't fuck anymore. And And I watch enough TV shows that think you just call in a fucking a laser beacon and it works. He That's goes, how I think airstrikes work. Uh, this is a peculiar conceit whereby every single air defense radar, surface-to-air missile, airstrip, and combat aircraft in a given country must be bombed to destruction to safeguard U.S. pilots from any danger instead of just bombing the targets that actually matter. 
Given that North Korea's radars, missiles, and aircrafts are badly outdated with their antique electronics long since countermeasured, the Air Force's requirements are nothing but an excuse for inaction. Yes, a more limited air attack might miss a wheelbarrow or two, <laughs> but North Korea has no nuclear warhead mobile missile launchers to miss. Not yet. Let's do okay. it, fam. I just, uh, okay, so this guy's like blithely imagine just starting on like a nuclear catastrophe because, like, yeah, his wife doesn't fuck him anymore. He hasn't had a decent nut in decades since the Carter administration. <laughs> and, uh, but here's the, here, here's the point I want to make of it. Like, like, this is madness, right? I want, the point I want to make about Edward Lutwak and so many others like him who are part of the, like, this just depraved foreign policy, like the ghoul mafia of just, you know, these hawkish psychopaths who, see no cost too great for them to bear you know like obviously not them personally but there's no cost too great for like the world or millions of people other than them to bear for their fantasies of like american military hegemony edward ludwig is a guy who started this year writing for tablet about the iran protests and how the regime can't last and our only mistake is not supporting the brave (laughs) protesters protesting their their corrupt awful government Okay, we, we, we haven't done anything officially about the Iran protests yet. I mean, there's a lot going on there. I'm not qualified to discuss it seriously. My only point is, when you see people like Edward Lutwak or Eli Lake, for instance, who is demanding this week that everyone apologize to Michael Ledeen, <laughs> deep cut there, another absolute psychopath who... Uh, literally had something that he coined called the Ledeen Doctrine, which said that America should pick a random shitty country every 10 years and just throttle it with our military just just because we can. He said he later tried to weasel out of his support for the Iraq war by saying the Bush administration didn't pursue the war he wanted. Another absolute madman, lunatic, fucking strange-loving psychopath. Eli says that we should all apologize to him because he knows more about Iran than we do. Here's the point I want to make. Every time you see these people invoking the protests in Iran or the brave people of Iran who are rising up against their awful tyrannical government, just know that as soon as it becomes convenient and they get their wish, all of those brave protesters will become military-aged males. (laughs) They'll become military-aged males who that are entirely just part of their calculus of like, no, yeah, it was good that we killed all of them. Yeah. They were, uh, they were of a certain age in a certain location. Therefore, it was okay to kill all of them. Yeah, when these people would yeah. just as soon drop a daisy cutter on these protesters as look at Absolutely. them if it was convenient yeah. for them. Do not believe even for a second that these people have compassionate, humane feelings in their rotten, corpse-like bodies. No. And yeah, if they, if they nuked Tehran and turned all of these people into shadows on a wall... Then they would say, actually, uh, the Iranian regime had a lot of democratic elements in it. So these people were voting on in this awful regime. So they have their responsibilities, too. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, great way to I mean, to close out the show. I mean, I'm terrified now that like, I mean, well, there's one more. We can we can end it on a different note because I just found something out. I got breaking news right now. Steve Bannon has stepped down. As head of Breitbart.com. And stepped up as the now fifth co-host of Chapo <laughs> Trap House. Steve, we're happy to have you, King. Oh, great to be here. I'd like to do a reading series on Camp of Saints. <laughs> oh, that is, wow. Already bringing stuff to the show, Steve. By the way, can I say, looking swole, <laughs> looking good, dude. Yeah, I'd like, we'd like to read Hammer of Aries by Steve. 
uh, W. Uh, Arnold Guttersnipe. <laughs> Felix, I'd just like to say I've been a fan of yours. You're my favorite chap, and I just want to say, Pimp, I want to paint you. Oh, well, you're, you're, you're the one homie you could, who could make me bust. Well, I have to say to you, I would like to be the one homie of yours who gets his toes sucked, and it would be an honor to massage your tight muscles, Pimp. <laughs> Is this how Steve Bannon sounds? I, I, I mean, it's close enough. <laughs> just, just, like, just imagine he sounds like this. He should always. He should sound like he's melting because that's how he looks. <laughs> yeah, he should sound like he's just got a mouthful of like you know whatever sugar that insects process in their in their uh, proboscis. Proboscis. Yeah. 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 He's he's Vincent D'Onofrio from Men in Black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and so, now he's looking for a new job, and we're we're offering it off to him. We, like I said, call us. He can become the editor in chief of the Chapo newsletter. Yes, so, DM us. DM us. Steve buddy. Bannon, our door is open, pimp. <laughs> uh, Till next week, guys. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.